Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Hello, I'm Michael Canelli, Professor of Urology at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. I want to thank the SUFU Scientific Committee for allowing me to present some of my concepts regarding the impact of technique on botulinum toxin injections for refractory overactive bladder. My disclosures are listed here, and for this lecture, it should be noted that I'm a research investigator and consultant for Allergan and Ipsen. Autobotulinum toxin A received FDA approval for NDO in 2011 and OAB in 2013. The standard injection used during the registration trials were similar, yet different. For OAB, 20 intertrochuser injections of 0.5 mLs were given for a total of 100 units in 10 mLs. And for NDO, 30 intertrochuser injections of 1.0 mL were given for a total of 200 units in 30 mLs. The injections were given in a standard template and that each injection was about one centimeter apart and two millimeters deep, avoiding the trigone. With those relatively non-descriptive injective details, data from the trials showed autobotulinum toxin was very effective with significant improvements in voiding symptoms and urodynamic parameters with total continence rates between 31 and 38%. Now success and optimal outcome of OAB is really determined by the three Ps, including physician technique, patient factors, and product performance. All of these Ps have an impact, but today I wanna to focus on the physician technique and how some of the minor yet important nuances and little details can impact outcome. There are many injection variables that can affect outcome, including dose, location of injections, number of injections, concentration and volume of injection, equipment used, and ancillary procedures. In my experience of over 20 years of injecting botulinum toxin, Attention to these details, along with adapting one injection technique based upon patient factors, can optimize outcome. Regarding dose, clinicians should review the phase two trial of onobotulinum toxin A. These studies clearly show a dose-dependent relationship regarding efficacy, continence, and quality of life improvements. However, improved efficacy is not without cost. As the graft on the right demonstrates, there's also a dose-dependent increase in PVR with higher doses. Consequently, providers should really assess the patient factors and the responses when choosing which dose to use. When it comes to location of injection, there are several variables that may impact outcome, including the injection pattern, whether it's local or diffuse, injection depth, interdetrusor or submucosal, or whether to include the trigon or not. Based upon the specific patient factors, all these subtleties can potentially impact the outcome. Now, I don't know how many of you have actually looked at the IFU injection template, but I was curious. Here you see the templates for OAB and NDO about one centimeter apart. The surface area is nearly half dollar size for OAB and three quarters of my business card for NDO. These are very narrow injection templates. Additionally, I don't know if you've ever paid much attention to the bladder volume and its effect. Here you can see that the higher bladder volume during the injection there's less overall bladder surface area of the toxin that's injected using the standard template. The question is, does a local small surface area of injection coverage versus a diffuse larger surface area coverage make a difference? Theoretically, if one was to try to stop all detrusor contractility, let's say in a spinal cord injury patient who's on CIC, it would seem intuitive that a diffuse large surface area of coverage would be ideal. Another point to remember 
is that with high bladder volumes, the bladder wall thickness also thins out. Hence, it raises the risk of extravesical injection. Consequently, choosing needle depth and bladder volume is another variable to pay close attention to. One way to increase surface area coverage is to increase the number of injections. However, what if you keep the same template and only change the number of injections? Does this matter? The answer is not really. Based upon an MRI study post-injection, Maynard reported no difference in overall effect when using the same template and only minimal increase in surface area coverage with the increased injections. Noted in the study was nearly 18% volume of injection in exoperitoneal fat tissue, calling out attention to needle depth, bladder wall thickness, and bladder volume during injection, which are pr procedural variables that can all impact success and optimal delivery of drug to the target tissue. In a systematic way, Lau investigated the impact of the number of injections using 10, 20, and 40 injections of 100 units of Botox in 10 mLs. Different numbers of intravesical botulinum toxin injections produce really the similar therapeutic and adverse events. And they concluded that the therapeutic effect does not depend on the number of injections, but on the botulinum toxin dose and possibly the volume of toxin solution, which may really distribute to the same suburothelial surface area. One of the heavily debated variables regarding efficacy is the depth of injection. Based upon patient type, OIB wet, OIB dry, should you inject submucosally where all the sensory rich receptors are located or inject intradetrusely where the acetylcholine motor nerves are located? In submucosal injection, is performed when the needle is just placed just underneath the urethelium. It's lifted, and then during the injection, you're creating a thin, transparent blister rise in the urethelium. As noted in Professor Cruz's previous lecture, botulinum toxin can decrease ATP release from the urethelium and block acetylcholine release from sensory afferent nerves. Additionally, it can decrease the P2X3 and TRPV1 receptors, which are thought to account for the decreased bladder sensation and increased bladder capacity. Intradetrusor injections are usually two to four millimeters deep in the muscle to create a bleb or a real subtle rise in the urethelium. This deeper location is where the acetylcholine-rich efferent motor nerves are located. Depending on bladder wall thickness, deep injections can possibly diffuse out of the bladder and superficial injections could possibly diffuse out the needle site, potentially limiting effectiveness. Original trials with botulinum toxin were fearful of trigonal injections due to the rise of reflux. However, this concern has been resolved as several reports have demonstrated that botulinum toxin injections do not induce de novo reflux. In a small series, Carcenti injected 200 units in the trigone of OIB wet patients without development of reflux, which was good, but only four to 11 patients actually had symptom improvement and only one patient was dry, which raises the question, Who's really the best candidate for trigonal injections? Is it OIV wet or OIV dry patients? Remember, the trigone's different from the detrusor in that it's composed of superficial and deep smooth muscle, which is rich in sensory fibers that are sensitive to small changes in pressure and responsible for early bladder sensations and urgency. There are no significant muscular contractions of the trigone and consequently minimal risk to urinary retention. Additionally, the trigone doesn't really stretch and consequently it doesn't contribute to bladder capacity. Because of these attributes, some people believe that OIB dry patients with afferent sensitivity syndrome or patients with DHIC may be ideal candidates for trigonal injections. Professor Koh compared the effectiveness of detrusor, suburethelial, and bladder-based injections in 45 OIB patients. 40, 
0.5 ml injections were used in the detrusor suburothelial injections, and 10 0.5 ml injections were used in the bladder base and trigone technique. The overall success rates were higher for the detrusor and suburothelial technique compared to the trigonal injections. However, the trigone injections were able to relieve the urgency sensation and did have the advantage of lower PVR and less obstructive voiding symptoms, but there was really no increase in bladder capacity. Another variable that can impact outcome is concentration of the toxin and the injection volume. However, this did not really be systematically investigated. Remember, the dilution fluid is the medium which immediately distributes and pushes the toxin to the surrounding tissue. The higher the volume, the more spread of the toxin. Most providers typically inject 0.15 or 1.0 injections, and there are pros and cons of each. Some of the benefits of the larger injection volume is a better vision of injection location and chance of correct placement, and so you can self-correct during injections. For example, if you choose superficial in your injection, you can place it deeper without wasting the injection. In addition, there's more surface area coverage and you can spread the toxin to a diffuse distribution. The lower injection volume has the benefits of a quicker procedure, less number of syringes used, less patient pain, yet it has a higher chance of fluid loss if the needle is not placed in the urethelium. Recently, the Lobot Multicenter Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Study demonstrated clinical effectiveness of an alternative injection technique basically in regards to the location of the injection, the number of injections, and dilution. Here, they used 10 0.5 ml injections, which were two in the trigone, eight in the peritrigone, and they placed a total of 100 units in OIV wet females. At each time point, statistically significant improvements compared to placebo were noted in urinary incontinence reduction, frequency, urgency, which were all similar to the phase three trial data. Although not comparable, the dry rate seemed to be lower than the phase three trial data with 14.3% of females dry at 12 weeks. From a safety perspective, adverse events were consistent with the standard injection paradigm. However, this technique had a positive advantage of zero episodes of urinary retention in CIC versus the 5.2% used during the standard injection paradigm. In summary, remember the three P's to optimal outcome, physician technique, patient factors, and product performance. Understanding each aspect is critical to ongoing success. Based upon patient factors, I alter my injection technique in order to achieve an optimal successful therapy while minimizing incomplete blood emptying. Obviously, further high quality research regarding technique and patient factors are needed to really validate some of these techniques. Due to time constraints, I'll not be able to walk you through this algorithm. However, I hope the rationale is self-explanatory from my presentation. Thank you. I look forward to the discussion section. Thank you both for those excellent presentations. Um, definitely we're ready to transition to the Q&A portion. So if you have any questions, please type those into the box. Um, as mentioned in your talks, although further studies are needed, I think it's fascinating that we can potentially target therapy and individualize our OB patients to improve their outcomes. So um, let me look in the Q&A here. Let's, we've got a couple of questions here. So the first question we have is, um, the trigone tends to bleed after injection. Do you do the trigone last during the injection and how far from the UO is far enough? So I would tend to agree with that. In doing sort of the aspect to it, I'll use go peritrigonally at first, 
uh, and then save the trigone injections at the very last. Some of it also depends on the needle type you're using. Some needles a little bit more sharper and have a tendency to cause bleeding. Additionally, if you do a more superficial injection, the bleb doesn't have a lot of muscular component to it, so it tends to want to bleed from some of the capillary areas. Well, uh, I, I cannot uh, turn on my video camera. I don't know why, but uh, 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 I'm trying. Okay. Okay. It's yeah, on. We can see you. Uh, and uh, I have, uh, well, it, it, it's more difficult to inject the trigon. I, I completely agree. And if you combine the, the truser with the trigon, leave the trigon uh, to the end. Uh, and uh, uh, one has to be more careful, particularly if you inject uh, the trigon for incisional cystitis patients. I totally agree. Right. And to piggyback on that, Dr. Canelli, you'd mentioned um, the impact, the potential impact of, you know, using a flexible scope versus a rigid uh, scope. What are you typically using when you're trying to uh, focus on the trigone? Right. So doing the trigone is better. A rigid scope is much easier than the flexible scope just because of positioning. But I think that's an area that really needs to be looked at in more detail because a rigid scope, you actually have more control of the exact placement. The flexible scope, you don't. I also think in the rigid scope that the injections are different because you can align it in a location, whereas the flexible, you tend to do a higher on the lateral and the upper area. Um, additionally, with the flexible scope, because the needles and the way you're using it, a lot of times the needle may not get into the urethelium it's sometimes hard depending on the bladder volume that you have. So it, just, it takes some skill. Uh, in our experience in our institution, we use the rigid cystoscope to inject the dragon with the deflector uh, 70 degrees lens. And uh, uh, we think it is more precise the way we inject. Okay. All right, now I have a question directed uh, to Dr. Cruz. Um, says a uh, bladder sensory nerves are stretch receptors, but pain is perceived by different systems, not through the muscle spindles or the muscle stretch receptors that you have shown. Do you have any evidence that Botox has an, uh, an analgesic um, effect? In other words, are there other indications or applications for Botox? Uh, as an analgesic uh, effect, well, uh, the analgesic effect in the detrusor, I, I, I think, is, is less clear because uh, the sensory fibers in the detrusor are essentially to control the degree of bladder filling, uh, uh, while the nociceptors that are really involved, they are engaged in pain uh, or in generation and pain, are essentially located in the trigon. So I, I think that makes the difference. Excellent. Thank you for that. And thank you again. Thank you both. We've run out of time, but thank you so much for your talks. Very interesting. Very uh, looking forward to uh, future research and where this takes us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. 
follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.